March 11, 2002, my first wife died of colon cancer in Wheaton. She was 49 years of age. We'd been together 30 years. She had eight weeks in hospital, three major operations, seven weeks in hospice care, a week in a coma. And her body shriveled up beyond recognition. The Spanish family in Australia was slow to move. It was seven months from the time that she was detected with colon cancer to when she left this earth and went to be with Jesus. Oh, too slow. Her brother came. They didn't want to believe she was dying. The brother came a day after she died. And I remember taking him into Hulk Greens. And Dolores was laid out on a bed, big room like this, and he came in. He saw her. I've never experienced such grief and hopelessness as I did when he saw her. He didn't recognize her. She was in late 40s. She looked like she was in late 90s. So I, I begin with that as to what happens to our body when we die. Do we have hope? Or like my brother-in-law, are we full of hopelessness as to what happens? So I'm going to address what happens to our body. And we don't have to guess because Paul talks about it in the reading in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, someone will ask you, well, what about the dead? Christine read, with what kind of body will they come? So I'm, I'm heading to 1 Corinthians 15, following the reading, and follow Paul's reasoning and exposition of what happens to the body. Do we have hope? Before I get there, though, I want to look at the city of Corinth and the letter. Because I've come prepared. <laughs> yeah, if this burrito, lopsided, but is Corinthians from you know, chapter 1 to 16... We're going to look at one slice in here. And you've got to look at it in the context. So I'm going to look at the city for two minutes and look at the book for three. Believe in miracles? Good. <laughs> so I'm going to... Excuse my back. You can always move and shift over, over there. You, okay, you've got your cushion, all right. So this is the mainland... I used to be an art teacher, so I'm bringing out all my skills. This is the mainland of Greece, and this is the Peloponnese, and this is the Isthmus of Corinth. 
So this is Acacia, this is Greece, Peloponnese. Now over here, present-day Turkey, is Ephesus. And this is Corinth. So there's a lot going on. So in Acts 18, Paul plans a church with Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. Then he takes Timothy and they make a camp here at Ephesus, reaching out into Asia. Now this is a big city, 50,000. This is 25,000. Corinth, it's unbelievable what a mess it was. It was the main trade route north and south and the main trade route east and west. Rome, so this is the second biggest city, Ephesus, 50,000. Rome had one million people. No other city got anywhere near it until 1810. And that was London. Got a million, 1810. Rome had one million at the time of Jesus. And they couldn't feed one million, so they imported everything. Olive oil from Greece. The main staple diet was bread. So they imported grain, 500,000 tons. They shipped into Rome, mostly in summer, because of the winter storms. So it went, the majority went through Corinth, from Israel, from Syria, from Egypt, they went to Corinth. This is an isthmus. They dare not sail around here. They had a proverb. Sail once, sail twice, you're dead. That's the Australian paraphrase. But you get the idea. When they brought the ship in here, they took the goods off, rolled or dragged them across, put them in ships and took it to Rome. You get the idea? Two-day journey from Ephesus to Corinth. This city attracted, excuse me, the dregs of life. Sailors and military and traders. One King, one, <laughs> one Kings is a good book, but 1 Corinthians 6, it says the church was made up of swindlers, robbers, thieves, liars, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, swindlers, and the list went on. That was the church because Corinth was made up of those people. Yes, sometimes, sometimes we read the Word of God and we think, well, it's the Word of God, divinely inspired. It's lovely and gentle and comfortable and sweet and easy to just bring it in. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians, that is not the situation. So let me, in my other pocket I have here, an eraser. Let me do a quick structure. Josiah, this is a great board. But it lacks stability. <laughs> so let me, uh, are you with me? Hope, you're with me? Oh, okay. Uh, if this burrito is structure. One to chapter 16. Okay. The first seven chapters is broken relationship. From eight on, it's broken worship. So, uh, save time, right? There's an introduction, one to two. It focuses on Jesus crucified. Why? Because the Corinthians didn't believe it. They thought it was dumb. 
Now, excuse my language, but that's what it says here. When you come into chapter 3 and 4, there are divisions among you. You don't like each other. Chapter 4, you don't like me. They're talking to Paul. And there's this amazing chapter 4 section on sarcasm. You know, you could read it like, well, you're rich and we are poor. You're strong and we're weak. You're, you're spiritual and we're fleshly. No, no, that's not how you read it. You say, you're rich and we're poor. Oh, you're so strong and we're so weak. You're so spiritual and we're so fleshly. It's total sarcasm. Because they're heading away from the gospel. They've lost their stability like this whiteboard. And they're heading away from the truth. So he bookends the whole. It's Jesus crucified and it's Jesus resurrected. That's the gospel. In between, there are problems. There are divisions. Then there's incest. You ready? Then there's prostitution. You mean you go to prostitutes in worship to God? Yeah, sure. That's what we did before. And what about taking people to court? Oh, by the way, you used to worship idols. And you're still having big feasts. And you think that's godly. You think that's good worship. Give me a break. From 8 to 10, you're still worshipping idols. You're going to their feasts. And then 11, you think you're so angelic, you don't need your head covers, and there are divisions when you have the Eucharist, Lord's table. Problem after problem after problem after problem, and he's coming in, correcting them. <laughs> With confrontation, with sarcasm is pulling out all the stops because they're heading in the wrong direction. And then, I know all about this, from 12 to 14, abuse of speaking in tongues. And then the resurrection. The purpose of any book of the Bible is in the structure. If you don't understand the structure, you're not getting the full picture of what God is saying. What's the issue here? What's the main problem? The church didn't like Paul. They thought they knew better. They were superior in their spirituality. Actually, there are references all through here that some of them have gone into a heavenly dimension with the angels speaking in tongues, speaking angelic language. It's all over the place. And they don't need the physical body anymore. When you talk about marriage and sexuality, you don't need sex and marriage. We're beyond that. You don't need the physical body. We are spiritual beings. They thought themselves superior. Now, you think, well, that's not related to us. I mean, as a pastor, I thought I had tough church situations in Australia. This is nothing. I've been away from my home church in Australia for a couple of years. I returned after three and had an opportunity to speak to the church. For some reason, I chose Acts 27 to 28 and followed the journey, fourth mission journey of Paul from Caesarea Maritima and the shipwreck Malta on the way to Rome. 
And I just emphasized suffering after suffering after suffering after suffering of Paul. Even in Malta when they were trying to get warm from the cold, windy, scrawly night, he was picking up brush and a snake bit him. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy. So I shared 30 minutes. No, that's not true. 40 minutes. <laughs> 45. <laughs> and afterwards saying hello, I can, I can take you to the spot. And I was saying hello to people and a group attacked me. Well, not physically, but pretty close. And they were a part of the church, but they had split off and they came. There maybe five or six. And they said, we don't believe what you said. I thought, okay. Because we are of another covenant. We're of a greater covenant. You don't have to suffer anymore. And they went on exposed. Expounded. They were in a supernatural spiritual state. This is Australian believers. That they don't have to go through what Paul went through. It's alive and well. Distortions of the gospel. People going down in spiritual cul-de-sacs. So come with me. <laughs> Let me take you into 1 Corinthians 15. Ephesus, his writing, four letters, two we have. He's struggling, he's wrestling with these people. It's not a pretty picture. And when you get into 2 Corinthians, it gets worse. doesn't get better. I, I, I'm an Australian. I think it's great. Any confrontation, I mean, I just laugh at it. I think, wow, hallelujah, this is, whoa, that Corinthian church, I want to get in there and roll up my sleeves and start casting out demons. In Jesus' name, of course. <laughs> so let me, let me read to you just, just real quickly here. I've, I've got the Bible in big print. But it's, not a it's a different translation. I'm doing the NIV, which is God's translation. I, I don't know what you're using. So 15.1, listen to this. Let me, let me take you to 35. I'm going to 35. 35 says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Okay. 15.1. I want to remind, this is Paul, I want to remind you about the gospel. The gospel you got saved by. Jesus was raised the third day, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached, listen to me, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you twits, how come some of you say that there's no, of, no resurrection of the dead? Did you hear that emotion? That was nothing to what Paul did in the letter. He was very disturbed. There were people in the church with false doctrine, like to Peter. It's the same. They didn't, the resurrection of Jesus is one thing, but they didn't believe that we as believers would have a resurrected body. They didn't believe in that. And Paul is saying, you've got to be kidding me. And then he moves down to verse 35. Oh, at the end, 33. He says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come on, get back to your senses. You ought to know better. Stop sinning. <laughs> but there are some who are just ignorant of God. 
I shame you. Oh, I love it. It's terrific. Verse 35. Okay, what about it? He gives you the answer. Verse 42 to 44 and verse 49. 42 to 44, 49. So, I'm going to, I'm going to, there are four words. Let me read to you 42. So, will it be with the resurrection of the dead? This is my translation, NIV. The body sown perishable will be imperishable. Sown in dishonor will be brought to glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown naturally, supernatural, spiritual. So let me just unpack it rather than go to the board. I'm going to do the four terms. You ask me, what's it like to have a resurrected body? Okay? What's going to happen? Paul tells you. One, it's going to be incorruptible. You're not going to wear out. You're not going to grow old. No sickness, no disease. It's healthy, strong. Unending existence. No sign of aging. Youthful, mature humanity. An image of God before the fall. Imperishable, incorruptible. I check often the refrigerator and when the goods are expired. How long have you had this in the fridge? And Jana is just super wonderful manager. I've had food poisoning three times. I can tell you when it happened. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to be with Jesus. I never want to get food poisoning again because things ruin. Things get spoiled. Things perish. I'm checking it. One was by my mother-in-law, the Spanish mother-in-law. She would keep things brought up in the Civil War. God bless her. <laughs> Spanish Civil War, not American Civil War. <laughs> she'd keep things in the fridge. Oh, no, she'd be right. You know, she'd okay, Mama, okay. I don't feel well, Mama. Oh, yeah, God bless you. Go to the bathrooms down here. Help yourself. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. We're going to be attractive. You're attractive now, but you're going to be more attractive. Beautiful. You're not going to be in dishonor. You're going to be honorable, beautiful, attractive. It's to do with looking glorious. Sown in dishonor, glory. Uh, you can't help but think about the times it talks about God's glory, a brightness, a shining, a radiance, the presence of God. You think of Jesus, Luke 9, matter of transfiguration. It says his face changed. Matthew, it says his face shone like the sun. We're going to have bodies like Jesus, resurrected bodies. What makes you think that we won't have a raining, a radiance, shining presence of the glory of God in our resurrected new bodies? Then it says, sown in weakness, power, raised in power. Not only not diseased or aging, but full strength, not superhuman like, I was going to say Tarzan, but I, I'm not quite up to date with the latest superheroes that help long Cassidy, maybe, but not like the superheroes. It's the strength of what it was God intended before the fall. In full human strength and power. 
dunamis, power. Lastly, raised natural, sound, raised spiritual, pneuma, the breath of God. And this is his point. (laughs) We're not talking non-physical. You're going to have a physical body, but it's going to be a spiritual body, imperishable, uncorruptible, all-powerful, strong, as in God, and... uh, So in this age, our body dies like Dolores and shrivels up. But this spiritual body is going to be raised and it's spiritual's pneuma with the breath of God. It's going to be empowered with the spirit of God. Led, directed, our new body, incorruptible, strong, spiritual, empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. One more, and then I'll end. Also, in Corinthians, it talks about, in 15, well, 42 to 44, it's going to be spiritual, it's going to be incorruptible, it's going to be power. But then in verse 49, you heard it, it says, it's going to be like Jesus. And listening to Father Kevin, mentioned it a couple of times, Jesus, the first fruit, he'll have a glorified body, and then the believers are second. Jesus first. And the tenderness of Jesus after the resurrection. Luke 24, Cleopas and friend walking to uh, Emmaus. He ate with them. And then in the upper room, he came in, just appeared, said, peace to you. Uh, Luke 24 and John 20. And then he said, well, it's a ghost, they're all afraid, you know, the story. And and he said, come on now. (laughs) Hey, you can touch me. Look at, look, and he, look at my hands in the film Yeah, look at my side. Just the tenderness of Jesus. The resurrected Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. My goodness, just the tenderness of how he approaches and accommodates. They were full of joy, but still not believing. Okay, you can, you can touch me. And then Thomas wasn't there, and he came. And he's so gentle with Thomas. He said, come, come, here's my hand, just touch it. Look, and he must have lifted up his robe. Thomas, put, put your hand here in my side. He said, you got anything to eat? I mean, just the accommodation. Uh, give me some fish, I'll eat it. It won't drop through. You can, t- you know, it's a glorious, glorified body filled with the Holy Spirit, raised by the Holy Spirit, but you can touch it. You can see it. And he just doesn't walk through walls. He just appears and disappears. Then the beautiful scene, tender scene. I love this scene. You know, John 21, the resurrected Jesus. And they're fishing. I want to send you the world, preach, baptize, and they're fishing. You caught anything? Throw it on the right. 153 fish. Peter swam in, and when he arrives, the risen Lord Jesus is frying fish and making bread. Oh, that's my God. I love to eat, which helps. And he said, Bring your fish too. Come and let's have breakfast together. And then he said, Follow me. So what have I said? Well, I said the answer to uh, 
Father Kevin's challenge, or what's it going to, what's the hope of our body, a new and living body, what's the hope? Paul answers it. 1 Corinthians 15, it's a question the church asks, but the connection is they're a bunch of rogues. <laughs> they're a bunch of problem after problem after problem. He's wrestling them. They don't like him. He's looking, I loved you. Why aren't you following me? We know better. We're superior. We are spiritual. We don't need the body anymore. He's correcting them. Don't you know the gospel is crucified Jesus, resurrected Jesus? Come on now. And when you come to 1 Corinthians 15, some of you ask, well, what about the body? What's going to happen? And then his response, you fools. <laughs> You've got to get the context to understand why he's saying, you're foolish. And then he tells you, 42 to 44, a spiritual body, not perishable, spiritual, powerful, not weak. And then 49, it's going to be like Jesus. I told you about my late wife. Uh, she, she was Spanish, so she, certain characteristics in Spanish. <laughs> in that family, anyhow, from Andalusia, Cordoba. She went into a, a coma, but before the coma, I said, look, listen, let me give you a rest. Uh, let me not sleep beside you. She's in hospice care for seven weeks. This is week seven. What? No, no, you're my husband. You sleep beside me. Okay. But then she started, she'd go in a coma, and she'd breathe and not breathe and breathe, and the body was closing down. So I, okay, I... I'm not going to sleep beside her. So I went in another room, you know, just a couple of feet away. I woke up 6.30. First thing that came to my mind, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And it's a Chicago business person, you know, that lost his family and he was taken to the spot in the Atlantic where they died and he went down into his room and he wrote the hymn. And this came to my mind, 6.30 in the morning. So I got out of bed and I walked into the main bedroom and I, she just wasn't moving. I just touched her arm and she was still warm. And before I went into the room to touch her arm, following it as well with my soul, I, I saw something. I, I, I can't say it's a vision, I can't say it's a trance, but it was a picture. As clear as, clear as yesterday. And I saw Dolores, maybe from here to the back door, and she was running from left to right. With, this is my picture. <laughs> long calico dress and she was running into the arms of Jesus now I, I've never read anything about that I can't say it's biblical I, I've never heard anyone say that I just heard the song saw the picture, went in, touched her she was warm could it be that God in his grace and mercy allowed me to see a glimpse of eternity that when I saw her run into the arms of Jesus from left to right, she was passing from this age to the next. Now remember, she looked as if she was 25. 
with long curly hair when I first met her and she didn't have glasses on. I remember her saying, when I go to heaven, I'm not going to have glasses. Okay. <laughs> so what happens when you die? You go into the ground, all scattered. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring everything together. Caught up in the air, those that have already died, 1 Thessalonians 4 and other places, even here in 1 Corinthians 15. And your soul spirit that has been absent from the body, present with the Lord, is going to be joined to your body. How, how does that happen? I don't know. Well, so let me end uh, by reading the last passage of 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, and the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Isaiah 25. Where a death is your victory, where a death is your sting. Isaiah 13. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor to the Lord is not in vain. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.